start of part two. Before we start, this podcast is not designed to be therapeutic, prescriptive, or constitute a formal diagnosis for any listener. For a longer version of this disclaimer, please check the episode notes on your podcast app. Please note that this episode contains discussions of suicide. If this episode brings up anything for you, Lifeline is available 24-7 on 13114 and Beyond Blue on 1300 Yeah. 
<laughs> no one understands me. I'm yeah. a teenage girl. <laughs> but yeah, she, I don't really have anything to back this up, but she seems like, I think Wes Anderson's very influenced by the French New Wave cinema. Um, oh, yeah. She seems like one of those sexy, sad... Well, I do have... Can I finish my fucking scent? Yes. Um, she, no, it's all right. Um, yeah, she just seems like one of those, you know, French New Wave sad characters smoking a cigarette. No smiling, very serious, very sad. And very, like, simply dressed. Aloof. With very dark makeup. Yeah, from the couple of French New Wave films I've seen. Well, I read that she yeah. was kind of modelled off Nico. There you go. So, a French New Wave actress. Yes, and singer. <laughs> was she French? Was Nico French? I believe so, yeah. She got a weird accent. Was she French or was she German? Oh, I thought she was German, actually. Yeah, because she was a Nazi. Was she? <laughs> she is. She's a Nazi. I didn't know she was a Nazi. What was Lou Reed doing hanging around with a Nazi? Yeah, she's German. She's German. <laughs> I mean, it's that European vibe, that sort of fatalistic femme fatale kind of femme fatale yeah that kind of thing yeah exactly a song sung by nico yeah you go <laughs> god this is just coming this is just yeah i do think though like margaret isn't a manic pixie train girl because we do know about her past and she doesn't end up saving the man um, and she's not an annoying she doesn't rabbit on and she's not full of energy and she doesn't like the Smiths. She's not like, listen to this song, it's going to change your life. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. But what do you think as a man? <laughs> like when you see that montage of her, I think we're supposed to be like, oh, she's a slut. Yeah. Uh, I just think that's maybe a, a bad stereotype. That like, oh, she's secretly promiscuous and that's bad. Yeah, well, like I think my impression of that scene sort of growing up was that She's a sexual being and she's making out with all these random people. And I think the implication, well, what I took from it is she's supposed to be seen as a bit of a slut, like quite promiscuous, mm. which I think is not a very helpful stereotype. But watching it now, I'm like, she's just, it's like the smoking. It's just something she does. Yeah. A bit of, bit of ownership, a bit of, you know. Well, in the movie, she's what, like 30, 30 something, mid 30s or something. Mm. So like, you know, if. I, I've got a very boring life that some people don't. So. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's, I don't, I'm not sure if he was intending the scene to give the impression that she is a slut or is promiscuous. But the boy, the men's response to that, obviously, you know, Raleigh is upset that she's cheated on him, but also like they don't know her past Yeah, and they find out that it's, there's lots of, Dick and Fanny involved in it. <laughs> Dick and Fanny. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they, they can't handle it. Yeah. What, is she not allowed to have that? Like... No, yeah, I know. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, then maybe, yeah, the scene is designed to sort of give the impression that... Look, I don't fucking know. Um, slightly problematic. Slightly... They'll put that in a slightly problematic basket. And also, it's very creepy that uh, her husband and her brother hire a detective... Yes. ...to spy on her. Like, if she found out about that after her and... Richie formed a relationship or whatever happened at the end. Like, I don't think she'd be very happy with that. No, I probably wouldn't if I were her. It's very <laughs> intrusive. What about if Michael hired a detective to follow you around and, and record your conversation? I'd be very bored. <laughs> I'd be in the same room as him. Well, <laughs> true. He could just jot down everything you say. <laughs> it's like the scene in the Keeping Up with the Kardashians where uh, <laughs> Chris Jenner hires someone to just write down what happened. Really? Yeah, that's what it would be like. I missed that episode. <laughs> yeah, I think my viewpoint watching that scene when I was younger was like, 
she's fucked around a lot. She has this sort of hidden past. She is a bit of a, maybe a, I don't like saying slut, but you know, that's sort of the impression that they're trying to give. But watching it now, they I'm just like... They slut shame her. They slut shame her. But watching it now, I'm like, well, she's just had a very, you know, colourful, exciting life mm. and some good sexual experiences. And the characters don't like it or, you know, react negatively to it, but I'm all for it. Go for it. And I wonder, you know, like they show her marrying the Jamaican guy yeah. and then she's making out with some, someone of some unknown tribal culture. And I think we're supposed to think, oh. Like, yeah, true. She, she has all types, which is kind of racist <laughs> to be, like, portraying it that way. Like, I, that's I, we're supposed to be, like, shocked, I think. Yeah. Well, the, the men are supposed to be shocked by it. We're, like, so? <laughs> like, just should it be a thing? Mm. Yeah, she went to Jamaica. She, mm. she fucked some dudes. The bigger... Uh, prob- more problematic stereotype is Dudley, I think. Oh, Dudley. Oh, well, this is your this is your battle to fight. Yes. Tell us. Like, he's, he's played for laughs. He's a very odd, quirky uh, character who's dressed very, like, geekily. Like, he looks quite ridiculous. But, like, to be fair, everyone in this movie looks ridiculous. Um, but we're supposed to laugh at him. And I fucking laughed my ass off at him. Do you still laugh now? Well... You can say yes. Yes. <laughs> like, whenever they say, ask, can the boy tell time? Oh, God. Oh, Lord, no. no. Oh, no. That's yeah. still funny. <laughs> but Dudley has agency there. He answers the question. He does. But he... Someone with a neurological condition that might have some similarities to what he's described as having would probably be a bit... We find that a bit stereotypical and a bit... Um, bit offensive, maybe. Yeah. A bit disrespectful. No, you're right there. He's obviously... A huge character, like he, I don't think we're supposed to take him seriously, but yeah, he's got a made-up disorder, so it's not like he's he is portraying anyone specifically. But but do you think that's kind of worse? Like by making it like a made-up disorder, it generalizes it to sort of encompass all sort of neurological disorders. Like he can be a placeholder for anything, you know, any dude that that's true that looks like that. You know, it's sort of yeah. it's kind of making fun a bit of all people who are like that yeah any dude who has like atypical social behaviors who's mm. yeah. he's a bit of a geek is someone to be laughed at and paraded around by bill murray which well, yeah, it would be pretty fucking highly offensive to be honest yeah. if you know if he was going to make this movie today i'd hope that he just gets rid of Dudley, even though i, I do love him <laughs> kill him off get rid of him get rid of Dudley. yeah he's like he's a sweet little character but it is sort of making fun of at his expense. Yeah. Like he's just there as a bit of comic relief, really. Although he does present Eli with his shoe. He is helpful in some way. I love that bit. Yeah. Very helpful. <laughs> I guess he brings a little bit of humanity to Raleigh as well. He does. I think probably when he was right, Wes was writing the script, he was like, we need Raleigh to have some kind of connection interest or and some kind yeah. of activity. Yeah. yeah, something to do. And just happened to be a sort of stereotypical, stereotypical, atypical boy. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> One thing is this movie's very, it's it's not 100% white, but it's about white people problems. Oh, you wrote this. Wealthy whitey sucking about problems and daddy issues. <laughs> <laughs> is that, is that, these your words? They're they were from... my words, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, yeah, it is true. It's a very, like, worried well movie. It is a very... White people, I mean, you know, there's Henry Sherman, he's black, there's uh, Pagoda, he's... Yeah, 
he is maybe a problematic uh, character, but um, but he's lovely. But you know, the themes are universal. I think you know, family issues, sibling rivalry, blah mm. blah blah. So it is very much centered on the white characters, like Henry mm. Sherman. Doesn't really like evolve. He's just no. He's just Henry. It sort of is. He's just great old yeah. Henry. And pagoda. <laughs> he's a stereotype, though, right? Well, I assume so. I don't really know, but yeah, he does seem very stereotypical. Yeah, pagoda is a massive stereotype. And Wes does like a good like East Asian or Indian stereotype. Like everyone's driving around in gypsy cabs, um, mm. which in itself is a is a racist term. Yeah. Um, it kind of fetishizes him a little bit. Like, the way he talks and the way he dresses. And when Henry goes into his room, it's all very, like, set up like he's in India. Yeah, there's even, like, sitar music playing, too, as he walks up yeah, the stairs. Yeah, yeah. And I was obsessed with Pagoda. I loved him so much. And he's a, he's a gorgeous man. Um, Maybe still alive. And that seems to be a bit of a thing for where he gets a bit of a flat for some cultural insensitivity at times. Um, but you do mention here that he stabs Royal twice... So <laughs> Yeah, he's got fucking agency. It's not like he's treated badly no. <laughs> in the movie. He was a, an, an assassin, hired to kill Royal, right? So And then he sent him and he took him to the hospital. <laughs> yeah. And he does it again. Um and he tends to his wounds. So, you know, it's a it's a mix. Yeah. Stereotypical, but we're not sort of laughing at him, I don't think. I don't think a so. A little bit, but it's not. It doesn't seem uh, malicious. It's not malicious, but no. um, it it probably isn't going to date well. As, Too well. As it, no. It already doesn't date super well. And that's stereotypes. All right. So let's end stereotypes there and yeah. talk about whether we think it's helpful mm. or harmful mm-hmm. yeah. to wrap this baby up. I'm excited about this section. What's most helpful about the movie to you? Well, you know... I really like its depiction of um, mental illness and addiction and childhood neglect um, without mm. sort of like shoving it down your throat, you know? feels like organic to the plot. It doesn't feel like a, a message movie where it's sort of, this is about addiction, you know, Requiem for a Dream. This is about someone who's depressed. It just feels sort of organic to the characters. Yeah, it's like we're in Wes Anderson's world and that's always like a particular type of world. Mm. And it's kind of an enjoyable, quirky movie, but within that is a mental illness kind of movie. Like, it's not a mental illness movie, but it is. Yeah. And it's the way he sort of brings the story out makes it much more accessible. Yeah, exactly. Um, I had notes here saying that, you know, movies that are about sort of bad parenting or parental abuse often, like, deal with extremes. Like, the mum is abusive of the son and he turns out to be, like, a serial killer. Or the Mm. parents ignore the daughter and she... Has magical powers, like in Matilda. Like, <laughs> Matilda. Like, absolute bullshit. Which we will cover. Yeah, you have to cover Matilda, but it is so unrealistic. You know, this is kind of a story that I think a lot of people can relate to. Everyone sort of has issues with their parents, you know, one way or yeah. the other, no matter if they're sort of great parents or bad parents or in the middle. Um, so this deals with a very common human experience in a very accessible way. It's not sort of these extremes these unrealistic sort of um, things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the, the overdramatic sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it is, it, it's not necessarily realistic because it's so fantastical yeah. and everything is so um, pastel. Exaggerated, <laughs> yeah. But it's, all the characters are very flawed, but you also are rooting for them. Like Royal, 
is very enjoyable <laughs> as a as a character. Yeah. But he's also a prick. He's a prick. So he's human. There's no real villains in the in the movie. You know, everyone's very human, very relatable, and on their own journey. There's no sort of bad guy. Um, I have a quote here uh, that kind of summarizes what we were saying, which is, which is it's from an article called the, called the Psychology of Failure, uh, the Royal Tenenbaum's Melancholy and Growing Pains. And it says, in quintessential Wes Anderson style, zany plot developments and memorable character design overlie a persistent sense of despair, which eventually advances into a type of catharsis. His chaotic, sentimental method of storytelling portrays dysfunction and depression in a way that reminds us of the power of trauma and the ease with which the eccentricity of these characters masks their pain. Their humanity is clearly evident, and as we watch the film, we feel along with them. But keep in mind that you are only a visitor, and once the story ends, with it closes the little window that these characters have allowed you to quietly Ooh. watch them through. I think, like, you know, if I was really good at speaking, that's what I would be you're, saying right now. But you're great at speaking. <laughs> it summarizes it well. <laughs> it does, yes. I don't know about the end bit, about, like, letting us, us being, you know allowed a glimpse into their lives but that's like every movie really but um i get i get what (laughs) (laughs) i get what it's trying to say for sure for sure yeah actually well now that you say that last bit is a little bit wanky (laughs) it's a bit like okay but but the rest of it i agree with keep in mind yeah you don't get to hang out with these people outside of the movies two hours that's all you get yeah you know it depicts depression and uh substance abuse but it's sort of it's quite hopeful in the end like they all sort of come through it like they're not they haven't overcome everything all obstacles that are in their way but this they seem to be on the right path so i think it's quite a hopeful message that it gives maybe it's a bit yeah bit sweet and saccharine but but it's not it's not too sweet and saccharine no. think, because it's not i think that one of the really helpful things is, as well is that you see them start to heal but they don't they're not different people they're still no. the same people yeah they look exactly um, the same in the funeral scene for sure yeah Chaz uh, and his sons are still wearing yeah. uh, Nike sweats they're just black Adidas Adidas <laughs> sorry sorry Adidas. product placement and like it's not a happy ending Royal dies <laughs> yeah Royal dies like, and they're at a funeral <laughs> it's, not, it's not the most happy ending but like you know it's not like they get the girl in the end or anything like that although you you think that Richie and Margot do get together well, but I'm pretty sure I have they don't. my conspiracy theory yeah but it's 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 not like tying up all the loose ends and like if you have mental illness then you get better and then you're fixed and then it's over like exactly it's yeah. like it's not they, some bullshit yeah, hollywood ending on the right track yeah mm. but there's still a long way to go you yeah. get that sense that, that they still have their issues but they're just moving yeah. along a good path yeah there's still some a lot of shit going on behind the scenes but they're better than they were at the start of the film yeah and i think that's a ho- hopeful message that that might come across is like even if you've experienced some pretty shitty family life even if you're in your 30s or whatever you can make some changes that are helpful but like it's not pre- preaching a false like a false outcome or anything a false know. outcome yeah yeah exactly yeah i mean maybe royals um over overcoming NPD is a little bit pat and a little bit. Um... <laughs> that is true. <laughs> That's not quite how it goes. You know, no one goes to therapy, or we don't see them go to therapy. Maybe we assume they they do, but. Um... But you're right. They don't go to therapy, but I mean, I don't think that was necessary in this film because it's not supposed to be a realistic film. Really. Yeah, I mean, look at it. It's it's a fantasy film. It's a fantasy world, and these larger-than-life characters who wear the same uniform every day 
since they were kids. So it's, you know, a made-up, bizarro world. So we don't yeah. have to see them go to therapy and talk about their feelings. It, it doesn't matter as much as, like, previous films we've called, like, Tully, where it's like, we're trying to tell everybody about postpartum depression. It's like, it's not trying to tell you anything. So that exactly, he gets yeah. away this with This isn't it. grounded in realism, so we don't have to see them, yeah, go, go to therapy or take meds or whatever they, they do. Although, having said that, Eli does go to rehab. He does, yeah. That's the one character so, who you see go to some professional help. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also helpful, even though we have said that managing NPD in this na- narcissistic personality disorder uh, in this movie, it, it's not as realistic as just, oh, I think I love my kids now. I think I'm mm. going to be a better father. But it is a nice sort of example of how to try and help your family heal if you've been really shit to them in mm. the past like you know royal doesn't he, he kind of figures out what his kids need and how to give them that sometimes he gets it wrong like like you said like taking margot to an ice cream shop like she's a little girl but um how he sort of connects with all the all the kids in the end is is figuring out where he is actually needed so like mm. richie he needs him to go along to, to try and give Eli help. And he's just there. He doesn't do anything particularly. He's just there for him. And just then he recognizes. Support, yeah. yeah. And then when Chaz's kids are almost died, he obviously gets them out of the way. But then hmm. uh, when there's this dog, he's like, oh, well, they need a new dog now. So I will yeah. give them this dog. Like he, he doesn't force himself upon them which mm. is what he was trying to do initially, and he kind of realised, I can't do it that yeah, way. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Everything he does for the kids doesn't feel out of character for sort of what Royal would would do. It's not this crazy... That's true, too. 180 degree, you know, over-the-top thing. It's like he gets a dog. He's just there to support Richie. Like, it, it feels true to the character. Yeah. But it's these little gestures, which are what, what his children need in, at the moment, at the time. So, you know, narcissistic parents... Take note if you would like to rebuild things. Yeah, with listen your kids. up. Watch this movie. <laughs> no one in particular. What was harmful about this movie? Nothing. It's a hundred percent the most perfect film ever made. <laughs> Except we have we haven't really talked about the fact that there's some incest in the movie. Yeah, incest is quite glossed over. Like even when I'm reading reviews, they're just like, and Richie's in love with his adopted sister Margot, and it's just sort of like, oh, okay. Cool. Everyone accepts it. And, um, uh, and like they are adopted, but it's not like in Clueless where they were only adopted siblings for a very short period of time. Yeah. It's like Richie and Margot grew up together as siblings. They grew up together. Yeah. So it it is incest to me. Yeah. I mean, the, the adopted sort of um, distinction is quite, it's a bit of a red herring almost like it's he, he, like you said before, he clings to that. He always says, adopted, adopted. But yeah. they grew up as brother and sister. So it's a bit fucked up. But love's love, you know? Love's love. Who am I to get in the way of love? Who are you to get in the way of love, Steph? <laughs> well, I mean, there's a reason why siblings aren't supposed to f- fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's the reason? You're not supposed... You're just not supposed... You have... You have genetically impacted. Oh, I remember advocating incest. <laughs> Sounds like I'm like pro incest right it now. Does sound I'm definitely like you not. Are. <laughs> I just love this movie so much. Um It's a it's just a little bit weird that he 
is fascinated by siblings in love because like he did say he, he based it off um i think les enfants terribles or something mm-hmm. um mm. he, he had a friend growing up that was in, said he was in love with his sister and that was oh. always stuck with him which is what i read mm. yeah yeah he always had a fascination with that which is kind of weird Wes. and he has siblings so that's weird mm. two boys <laughs> two brothers <laughs> And originally they were supposed to be biological yeah. siblings, but they he changed it to adopted, which Thank is God. probably good. Yeah. I, I like the movie better as adopted. I don't think I'd be fully behind it if they were biological siblings. Nah. It freaked me nah. out a bit. And no one would like it as much, I think. I don't think it would be would have been as popular. <laughs> no. I think people would have been outraged. I think it, again, goes back to this sort of like European, sexy, sex is sex, cigarettes, makeup. Yeah. I want to fuck everyone. I can sleep with my adopted. You know, that sort of, <laughs> ins- you know, it seems very French. I think that's what he, 60s I think France that's what he likes kind of thing. about it too. Yeah. That's, I think that's what, that gets him off. I'm not saying it's, that makes yeah. it right or wrong, but it just, <laughs> I think he just has a, you know, a preoccupation with that kind of stuff. It feels right for him yeah, to write he a, always has. A, a script. Um, it doesn't make it helpful or harmful. Well, it kind of makes it a bit harmful. But no one has watched this movie and is like, oh, actually, I have latent sexual feelings for my sibling. You don't know that. Maybe they have. Listeners out there, if you have, let us know. Did you think the suicide attempt scene was glorifying? Not really. I mean, I remember... Once again, I'll say a sentence. When I was a kid and I watched this movie, I would sometimes put that scene on, not watch the rest of the movie and just watch that scene. But I think, which sounds a bit fucked up. <laughs> but does I think, sound a bit worrying. <laughs> no, it, I had no suicidal tendencies really at that age. And it's, I think just the power of it. I think the music, Needle in the Hay, the visuals, um, the emotional sort of climax of the movie, it just really... It was one of those scenes, you know, you sort of, I don't know, I do this. I watch scenes over and over again. Sometimes it really affect me. So I watched that scene a lot. Yeah. But um, it's not like I enjoyed it. It was just so emotional, such a sort of bit of a, I don't know, dopamine hit, a bit of a rush. <laughs> that sounds really bad. Um, <laughs> it makes <laughs> it, feel good. It wasn't like torture porn. I don't know. It didn't make me feel good. It was just, I don't know. I guess it's it's a very beautifully, cra- like, affecting, uh, yeah. powerfully crafted piece of cinema. It is. I, I don't I don't think it I don't think it um glorifies it. I don't think it does because it's it's so raw and and I've mentioned this in a previous episode but um like it's not like in 13 reasons why where it all seems very carefully planned and there's Ultravox um playing in the background Vienna and and she's like lying in the bath and it's 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 very slow and and you're meant to be like, oh, um, and it's 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 too much. This is just like quite sudden and not mm. unexpected. Yeah, and when he says, nowhere, I'm going to kill yeah. myself tomorrow. And then suddenly he's cutting his arms and the blood. Yeah. And, and you're just like, shit, <laughs> what is happening? And it gets really intense. So I don't, it to me, it doesn't glorify it. But I don't know what it would be like watching it in a state where you are really suicidal. So I guess... We we can we're only speaking about it from not being in that um, headspace. If you were mm. suicidal, it could actually think, be quite triggering. Do you think if you're in that headspace, which you know I've been in the past, do you think anything you watch which has a hint or a suggestion of suicide might sort of trigger you to? Yeah, to, you which know, is like it's a it's a it's a tricky one. It is, and which is why we have content 
mornings more so these days, <laughs> including <laughs> in this podcast. And Rotanum Bounds does not have that oh. <laughs> when you watch it. Well, it's not on my DVD. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I don't, it's not a movie about a suicide. It's just, yeah, it's something that makes sense for the character to do at the time. And you could say that maybe it was helpful that he, it, it triggered his family to get back together and he and Margot confess their love for each other. Um, but they don't get together. They don't get together, Nick. <laughs> all right, all right. We'll go with that. <laughs> with that theory. Um, yeah, maybe it could be seen that way, but I think um, not not as harmful as other depictions that mm. we've already mentioned. Imagine where it's like, oh. And also, like, I made an impact on people because I suicided. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you see, I think it's helpful. You see sort of the, the toll it takes on the family. Um, mm. You see sort of the devastation. I mean, it's kind of funny when Chaz is like, "Did you write a suicide note?" Like that's a that's a very was Chaz... it dark? <laughs> of course, it's dark. It's a suicide <laughs> note. That's a very Chaz thing yeah. to say. But um, everyone seems quite devastated. So I think it shows you, oh, in a realistic way, how a family would react to someone attempting suicide. Yeah, and like seeing this the scars on his mm. um, arms yeah. and stuff looks looks quite shocking. Yeah, so it's I quite a shock. I remember be... seeing that scene. It was like, oh shit! Like you know, yeah, that would have hurt. So. Yeah, you know, maybe some people could be affected by this, but I think it it is on the side of not not harmful, not helpful, but not harmful. It's a neutral scene. <laughs> no, but yeah, I, powerful, but not harmful. Anything else you think might be harmful about this movie, Nicholas? I read some article saying that um, there's a bit of a sexist portrayal of women in the film. They only. Basically, sum, summarising this big rant, um, the females in the film only serve to advance the male's plot and character development. Oh. Um, I mean, I can see maybe Ethelene, but what about Margot? Margot, well, it's sort of, I think they're grasping at straws where Richie's sort of development is because of Margot's sexual past. And True, but true, true, true. I think she has as rich... Uh, a character development and story as Richie. Maybe Richie, he's the centre of the film. But I, I don't agree that she only exists to sort of further his plot. Yeah, I don't, I don't believe that at all. She's got her own agency and her own story in the film. I don't think she exists solely to further Richie, so fuck this article. <laughs> um, but I do I do dislike how, like, we've, we may have already touched on this, like... When she is seen with lots of men, that's supposed to be seen as a bad thing. And, you know, the men are kind of... Male gaze. Yeah, there's a bit of male gaze going on in there for sure. And, like, spying on Margot and the fact that they get mm. uh, investigated to, to stalk her. Like, I'm sure, you know, what if Richie or Raleigh slept with other women? I'm mm. sure, like, she wouldn't go and... I mean, she doesn't really care about Raleigh, but you know, she's not <laughs> she going to go and hire a private investigator to look, look into that. So it's a bit shitty male behavior within the film. Yeah. It's something that's sort of glossed over as sort of just a, sort of an afterthought. Oh, they hired a detective. Of course. Cause at, at that point in the film, so much sort of crazy shit has gone on that. I know. It's like, of course, <laughs> of course there's a private detective. And he's such a caricature too. He's got a big cigar. <laughs> Straight out of like a cartoon. 
um, but yeah. it works. Gentlemen. Oh, it works. Yeah. It, yeah, it's within the world of Wes, but, you know, it's pretty sexist within itself. Yeah, it is. I, will, I, I do agree with that. This same article, I think, was talking about, or maybe the, the, the thesis I read was talking about this, Ethel exists for uh, Royal to sort of grow by granting her a divorce that he sort of held hostage over her for seven years or whatever it was. Mm. But once again, I think she still has... Well, this this thing pointed out, um, her growth is that she gets married in the film, basically. That's her arc. Um, mm, yeah, I guess it's not very feminist. <laughs> but, you know, she's such a wonderful... I really... I think she's a great character. Like, I don't... I, like, she's the matriarch and it's in a... Cons- it's in a a conservative marriage and she pretty much runs the household. So given Royals, a pretty misogynistic, narcissistic dude, like it all makes sense that she would hold the pieces together and be the sort of, yeah. And not really mum. do anything for herself until someone asks to marry her. So I, I think that's sort of, mm. you know, stretching it a little bit, grasping for some kind of criticism, but that was just what I read. So there you mm. go. I can't, I can't think of any other, harmful thing in the movie. I think it's pretty helpful. It makes smoking look pretty sexy. Yeah. So, going through our final kind of scores. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, firstly, lived experience. I think there's quite a bit of lived experience yeah, it seems to in be. there. Yeah. More so than other things that we've reviewed. Yeah. I agree with you there. Yeah. And, and sometimes quite close to home particularly Owen, being the one who wrote this movie. So I think it gets a point for that. I agree. I concur. Um, accuracy? I guess it's 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 hard one to rate for this movie because it's so fantastical the way it's made. But mm. I don't know. It probably only gets half a point because people don't really interact in the way they do in this movie. Oh, no. Yeah. No one in real life acts like this movie. You know, maybe... Maybe three-eighths or something, Steph, you know? <laughs> just, just below a half. Fuck off. Um, <laughs> but I do think it's an accurate-ish um, demonstration of how that sort of childhood neglect and abandonment would impact a family who are successful. Yeah, I mean, for all its sort of weird wackiness, it, it does seem relatively accurate in some of its portrayals of, of this shit. Like, weirdly enough. So what do you give it? Uh, a half? Half point. <laughs> stereotypes. You know, it's got less stereotypes than most movies we do have. And the stereotypes that they do have are like in a Wes Anderson world, so it kind of that he kind of gets a pass for it. Yeah, what about a half? You give another half? Another or, half. Or yeah, another, another half. half. And helpful or harmful? More helpful than helpful? I think? think it is. I don't, I think it deserves a whole point for for helpful. I think helpful. I think in the way that so many people watch this movie when they're young, love it, and it probably secretly inserts some helpful, hopeful stuff about yeah, mental illness. Yeah, a bit inceptiony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, inceptiony. Yeah, that seed. Yes. So that kind of means it's like three out of four, which is pretty good. That's pretty fucking good. Possibly the best I've ever made. Good. Don't you reckon? Don't you agree, listeners? <laughs> I think everyone can agree. And if you don't like this movie, well, then fucking you can unsubscribe fuck off. then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Steph's joking. She loves you nah, all. No, nah, no, it's not for everyone. It's fine. I think I think we've wrapped it up. Thank you so much, Nick. For Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Please do so we get more 
people listening. Add us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and sign up for our Patreon for bonus content, and there'll be more stuff coming to you very soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Nick. We'll, We'll chat again soon. My pleasure. Take care, everyone. Bye. Hang on, and Oh, God. You right? Oh, shit. <laughs> no. I've just got a spinning wheel.